you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 16. The wage of the righteous leads to life, the gain of the wicked to sin. Proverbs 11.4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Proverbs 12.28. In the path of righteousness is life, and in its path there is no death. Proverbs 14.12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Proverbs 14.27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. And finally, Proverbs 19.23. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever, whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Lily. Thanks so much, Hey, for joining us this morning. Uh, if we haven't had the pleasure of meeting yet, uh, as Lily said, my name's Neil, I get to be one of the pastors here, and very exciting uh, morning, because if you haven't made the connection, Jamie is uh, my daughter, uh, and so it's uh, incredible to have you join us for this uh, special uh, morning this morning. Uh, I was reading a, a story this week from a number of years ago about a young uh, 18-year-old uh, farmer in Egypt, and he was trying to save his chicken... Uh, that had fallen into this kind of large, deep well. And so he kind of went into the, to the well to try and save his chicken, uh, but he got into trouble. Uh, and then his uh, younger siblings, a sister and two brothers, and, uh, and neither of them, none of them could swim, but kind of one by one, they would enter into the well trying to help him get out, and yet they all got into trouble. Uh, and then uh, there's t- kind of two elderly farmers who were in the vicinity. They kind of saw what was going on. And, and so they also went into the well to try and help them get out. Later on, uh, police pulled all six bodies out of the well and one alive chicken. Now, you might be wondering why I'm telling you th- this story, because on one hand, it's tragic, isn't it? I mean, six lives for the sake of one chicken, but... On the other hand, it's kind of awkwardly funny, right? Because it's six lives were were, were completely wasted, foolishness, just trying to save this one chicken. This story was one of the winners of the Darwin Awards. Uh, Perhaps you've heard of the Darwin Awards. It's kind of this very uh, unofficial, uh, unprestigious award given to those who, who die because of their own stupidity and foolishness. Uh, it was named after Charles Darwin uh, and his theory of natural selection and survival of the fittest. And to the, so they're awarded to those uh, who essentially do humanity a favour and supposedly kind of progress humanity because they've removed themselves and their foolishness and stupidity from the human gene pool. Uh, and so it's part of the survival of the fittest. Uh, and so there's many stories there of just the, 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 the foolishness of of people who lead to their own death. Uh, if you've just joined us for the first time today, we are, we're wrapping up our, our series. We've been a few weeks now in the book of Proverbs, exploring what the Bible says about wisdom, 
and how to live uh, wisely in the different realms of life. And so we've explored uh, work and, and justice and marriage uh, and money and words. And, and today we're, we're landing on uh, what is essentially the kind of the meta themes which, in which all those things find their meaning. And that is, uh, what is, what is wisdom when it comes to navigating life and death? Uh, and if you've been with us or you, you know Proverbs, you know that Proverbs sets up for us two options for how we are to live. There's two paths we're on one of those. And one of those paths is personified by, by Lady Wisdom. Uh, and she's, she's calling us and pleading with us to, to follow her down the path of wisdom because that path leads to life. The other path is personified by Lady Folly. Uh, and she's tempting us, she's enticing us and trying to lure us down her path because her path it, it looks good, it seems good, it's exciting, it, it tastes good, but it's actually the path of foolishness. And although it might seem right for a time, it ultimately leads to death and destruction. And so let's start this morning, we're considering some of what Proverbs tells us about those two paths. So we'll start with uh, considering uh, the paths of life and death. Uh, Proverbs 14, 12 also says, uh, repeated again in Proverbs 16, it says uh, that there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. Its end is its way to death. Uh, and so perhaps keeping with the kind of Darwin Awards themes, perhaps you've seen some of those uh, videos floating around uh, about dumb ways to die. Uh, dumb ways to die. Typically not videos of people actually dying, but they're just people, videos of people who have been caught coming really close to death, typically by doing something uh, kind of silly or stupid. You know, so if it did go bad, they, they would be candidates for winning uh, a Darwin Award. Uh, and what I've seen before is a pretty common one, is someone's walking along, uh, staring at their phone, kind of completely absorbed in that, no idea what is going on around them. And, and, and so unwittingly, they kind of step out onto the road or something like that, and a, and a car whizzes past, uh, missing them by inches. And so they've come within you know, inches of death. And yet because they're kind of so absorbed in their, their phone and what's going on there, they might kind of go, oh, what, what happened? And, and then they keep going back with their head down staring at their phone. And, and, we, and, we, and we look at that and we kind of laugh because it's, it's kind of funny, isn't it? Like they're, they're completely oblivious uh, to the situation that they were in. They were inches from death and they've completely missed that. And so they just continue on uh, in, the, in their foolishness of being oblivious to what is going on around them. And, and we laugh at that, but the reality is the Bible actually tells us that in many ways we're in exactly the same position. The, the problem with with foolishness is actually our inability to even know that we are a fool. I mean, no, no one thinks that they're a fool, right? I mean, you might be kind of humble and, you know, we've got a couple of PhDs down here and uh, you know, no one maybe thinks, well, you know, I'm, not, I'm not, maybe not PhD kind of smart, but, you know, I'm just kind of like public school smart, right? But no one, no one thinks they're a fool, right? No one typically thinks of themselves as being foolish, but Proverbs tells us something different. Proverbs 12, 15 says, uh, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. You don't, don't know that you're a fool, but a wise man listens to advice. And, and so the Bible tells us that it's possible that even one, when it comes to the matters of the, the most important things of, of life and death, that, that we can think that we're right, 
and yet be devastatingly wrong. And if we are simply left to our own devices, then we will slowly but surely and unknowingly march down the path of death. And so not only left to ourselves do we lack wisdom, but we we lack the wisdom to even know that we need wisdom. See, wisdom considers just that, just maybe that I'm a complete idiot. And Proverbs tells us that if we're going to be wise, then we're actually not going to find the solution and the answers to, to life and death in ourselves, but we need to go outside of ourselves to the one who created life. And so towards the beginning of Proverbs, it says this to us, Proverbs 3, 5 to 8, that we have to trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. But fear the Lord and turn away from evil and it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. See, when Proverbs uh, talks about life, it's, it's not so much about uh, you know, how to keep your, your pulse going as long as possible. It's actually got a, a much bigger view of both life and death. And so life in Proverbs includes the, the fullness of life of satisfaction and joy and all the things that we long for and desire and yet seem so elusive or perhaps at best just fleeting. But wisdom also recognises that life exists beyond death or perhaps existence exists beyond death, beyond life, beyond physical life and physical death because because we're more than just flesh and bones and toenails and nasal hair and uh, electrical signals. But there is, a, there is spiritual life and there is spiritual death. And, and wisdom is not merely you know, how not to die a, a premature or foolish death. It's not merely how to keep yourself out of the Darwin Awards. And wisdom is not you know, about uh, YOLO, you know, you only live once being this idea that, well, you live and then you die, and so you've just got to make the most of today. So they're just reduction, reductionistic kind of approaches to life because, because we actually intrinsically know that there's, there's far more to life than those things. There's far more to death than those things. Uh, I'm over 40 now, uh, and so I'm starting to be reminded every day that, that death is getting closer. Uh, it used to be that uh, if my body was uh, tired and you know, a bit sore, then I could go to bed and have a good night's sleep and I'd wake up in the morning feeling uh, you know, refreshed and rejuvenated. But now, going to bed can be dangerous. I mean, I've rolled over and pulled a muscle in the middle of the night. I wake up sore in the morning than I did when I went to bed. Uh, on Friday night, we're out to dinner. It was been a big weekend. It was uh, Kirsty's, my wife's birthday, uh, on Friday night, and so we're out. And, and as I was eating a, a nice bit of beef, it got stuck in my throat. <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. I was I was legitimately choking. I was very close. I actually needed something to do the Heimlich on me. So eating is dangerous. Death is coming for me. 
We work really hard as a, as a culture to try and just sanitize death. We, we try to ignore it. We're doing everything we can to delay it and avoid it. I mean, you know, for the, for the first time in you know, all of human history, most people my age haven't, have never seen a dead body because it's so removed from us. Our open casket funerals are replaced by Thanksgiving and celebration services because that takes a bit of the sting out of death. We, we don't have cemeteries in our communities anymore so that it's, it's removed from view. And so as, as much as we try to ignore it or, or, or trivialize death or, or downplay it, or, or not even entertain the idea of your own impending death, because that's too scary, we, we can't avoid the fact that, that death casts a long, dark shadow over all of life. We, we don't really need convincing that there's actually something very wrong with the world. And, and this reality that we live in is what the Bible calls the, the curse of sin and death. That death and, and pain and, and, and suffering and destruction, that, that none of that was ever meant to be part of God's good creation. That we weren't made to just live and then die, but we were actually made to live forever in the fullness and the, the joy of the goodness of God. But, but right here, the start of the Bible tells us in Genesis 3 that the, the first people, that Adam and Eve, well, they lived out this, this negative reality that we see in Proverbs. That they, that they lent on their own understanding. That they were wise in their own eyes. That they did what seemed right to them, and, and that ended in a, a curse of death that, that spread and infected all of creation. And that means that for all of us, we, we live under this sin of, uh, of the curse of sin and death. And if we're without God, then the default path that we're on is the path of death. This actually makes it just a whole lot of sense of this life, the, the curse of sin and death. And, and not merely because we can look around and we, and we can see that it makes sense of the fact that, that death and, and pain exist, that why the world is the way it is, but it also makes sense of, of why that is even a problem. Because if you... If you try to remove God from the, the picture and contend that, you know, maybe, maybe everything just kind of came into existence through random chance or through evolution, then, then that may give you some kind of theory that explains the existence of, of death and suffering and it's natural and normal and necessary, but, but it gives you no explanation as to why any of that is actually a problem. And we just don't live that way. So perhaps you... You say that you can't believe in God or that you, you, you won't believe in God that would allow the kind of pain and suffering that we see and experience in this world, that you know, this good and uh, powerful God that Christians say that they believe in can't exist because if it did, then, then, then there wouldn't be this kind of pain and suffering that we see in the death and disease. But, but the, the question itself assumes that, that pain and suffering... And death is a problem in the first place. Those things are only a problem if this world isn't the way 
it was meant to be. Otherwise, death isn't bad. It, it just is. Suffering isn't bad. It, it just is. Good and evil and, and right and wrong, then, then they're just our own kind of arbitrary constructs. If there's, there's no God and all this is just kind of random chance, then everything is just simply how it's meant to be and there's still no answers. So we don't live that way, do we? We, we all live as if these things are a problem and that's why we're, we're so desperate to, to find meaning and purpose and, and fullness and, and trying to push back death as much as we possibly can. That's why we're always looking for, for wisdom on how to better our lives. Whether it's you know, life hacks to make life easier or, or how to earn more money or how to get ahead, how to have a better marriage, how to, how to find a better life. It's implementing the, the 12 rules for life or the, the 12 more rules for life or whatever's coming next. Because all of humanity, we're, we're all wired for life. We, we, we long for life. The, the pursuit of joy and happiness and, and satisfaction and, and meaning and beauty for, for fullness of life. And none of that. None of that makes any sense without God. But, but see, there's a, a rightness to those longings because, because Scripture and Proverbs tell us that that's what we're made for. That we weren't made to die, but that we were made to live forever. And, and it tells us that the death is ultimately the problem that needs to be dealt with. And so if death is, is actually a problem that needs to be dealt with, what, what, is, what does wisdom look like? What, is it, what does this path of life look like? Or perhaps counterintuitively, uh, wisdom tells us that the path of life is actually marked by fear. That there's a, there's a fear that leads to life. And so let's look at the, the fear that leads to life. Uh, as we've seen throughout this series, uh, wisdom consists of, of a whole bunch of different elements. I mean, we need, to, we need to have knowledge. We need to have education. We need to, to grow up into maturity. We need uh, humility. Uh, we need to be willing to, to listen to the advice of others and, and learn to them. We need things like self-control. But, but foundational to all of those things, all those elements, is a particular kind of fear, which is the fear of the Lord. Uh, Proverbs 1 says in it, at the start of, uh, of the book, uh, lays the foundation for us. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge that fools despise wisdom and instruction. And it's, well, I know we've been here a bit, but it's worth revisiting this this morning just because of how explicitly and, and how seriously Proverbs connects the, the fear of the Lord with life and death. So 14.27 says, the, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. Or 19.23 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Or, or 22.4 says, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is, is riches and honor and life. Uh, so, so how is it that the, the fear of the Lord 
it is meant to lead to this kind of life. I mean, typically when we, 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 if we think about fear, it's a bad thing, right? Like we, we don't want to live in fear. We don't want to be governed by fear. That doesn't sound like fullness of life. It just sounds kind of horrible, right? It's debilitating. But we also know that there's actually different kinds of fears, that there are good kinds of fears, and they're good fears because they help us to live wisely in the, the reality of the situation that we're in. So if you're, if you're near the, the edge of a cliff, then you may not necessarily have a, a fear of heights, but that doesn't mean that you're not careful and take precautions, right? That the reality, of the, the reality that you're near the edge of a cliff that, that might lead to your destruction if you fall over it governs, at least in some level, of what you do. And it would be foolish to act as if that, that, that cliff isn't there. Or you may not fear uh, having a, being in a car crash, but you still put your seatbelt on every time you get into the car, right? And that's why we care about things like you know, ABS brakes and airbags and uh, lane assist and automatic braking and all those kind of things. Because, and that's because of this a good kind of fear that, that leads you to live wisely in the reality of the situation that we're in when we're driving. Because driving is dangerous. And that's not a debilitating fear, but it's actually a fear that actually leads to, to, to freedom and confidence, right? And so when the Bible talks about the, the fear of the Lord, it's not that God is a kind of big scary thing, that he's just trying to you know, catch you out or, or, or caught you in something. And as if we need to kind of live our lives just desperately trying to, to avoid his judgment or his disapproval, you know, in fear, just trying to make sure that we don't upset him. No, no, the, the wisdom, it's the wisdom of, of recognizing the, the reality of this world and the life that we live in, that we, that we live in a world that is under the curse of sin and death, and that death is coming and ignoring that is foolish. And, and the fear of the Lord is recognizing that, that since God is the one who is the giver and the creator of life, then, then only in him is the solution to death. That only in him can all our, our longings for life and for joy and for the pursuit of happiness and fulfillness and, and satisfaction can be found. And so because of that, wisdom is to orient my, my entire life around him. That is, he, who he is, is to govern how I live. And it's dangerous if I forget that. Because when I forget that, that it leads me away from the path of life, away from the, the source of life, and, and puts me on the path to death. That's why we see in the Bible that the fear of the Lord is actually always given to us in just incredibly positive terms. Like it says, it says uh, the fear of the Lord is the, the beginning of wisdom. It's the fountain of life. The fear of the Lord is the, the treasure of your soul, the source of true confidence. It's the, the source of delight. It's the source of true satisfaction. So according to Scripture, the, the fear of the Lord is the thing that re relieves all of our other fears. It, it's the thing that relieves our anxieties. It, it provides us with, with safety and security and, and confidence and, and the wisdom that we need for life. And time and time again, throughout uh, Proverbs and throughout Scripture, the, the fruit of the fear of the Lord that leads to this life 
is, is righteousness. Is righteousness. We see that all the way throughout Proverbs. Uh, 10.2 says, Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. 10.16, The wage of righteousness leads to life, the gain of the wicked to sin. 10.27, The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Or 11.30, The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and whoever captures uh, souls is wise. Or 12.28, uh, In the path of righteousness is life, and it, in its pathway there is no death. And so time and time again, we see this intrinsic connection in Proverbs between uh, wisdom and righteousness and life on one hand, and foolishness and wickedness and death on the other. And at one level, this, this, this fits with the, the biblical principle of, of simply just reaping what you sow. That if you do right, and if you keep God's laws and you live wisely, then, then generally life will go well for you. But if you, if you do wrong, and you, you lie and you cheat and you steal, then, then, then generally life won't go well for you. That, that you'll reap what you sow. And, and this isn't a, you know, a kind of a cosmic karma where you know, if you do bad things and the universe kind of conspires against you to, to make bad things happen to you, or, or if you do good things, then you'll get kind of good luck. And, and because the fear of the Lord is actually a positive thing, then then, then this righteousness is not, a, is not a fear of punishment kind of driven rule following. But see, the, the fullness of life is, is connected to living the way that God has created us to live. See, righteousness actually goes a, a lot deeper than, than, than merely following the rules or laws, but the righteousness actually for us becomes really personal. And it's personal because righteousness is, is actually really about answering the question, how do I know I'm okay? How do I know I'm accepted? And so perhaps that's before God. And perhaps the way that you may have heard this kind of phrase before is with the question, if you, know, if you were to die now, and if, and if you were to stand before God t- tonight and, and he would say to you, you know, why, why should I let you in? Why, why should you get into heaven? You know, how would you answer? Well, that's, that's a question of righteousness, of, of our rightness. You know, how, how, how do you know that you're accepted? How do you know that you have a right standing before God? But, but not only does that righteousness work on that kind of vertical level, but also on a horizontal level with everyone else. See, how, how do you know that you're accepted by others? How, how do you know that you, you know, belong with this group of people or, or in that place? So these are, these are questions of our, own, of our own rightness. And not, not, not merely whether or not we're right or wrong, but am I accepted? Am, am I acceptable? And because it's so personal, it also becomes really problematic when we do fail. Because unless we have an answer, unless we have a a solution to deal with our unrighteousness, to to deal with all the ways that we know that we're we're not acceptable, then we we go one of two ways. That we'll either try to uh, hide our sin and and our failures, We'll try to hide it from ourselves and from others. 
that we try to deny that there's really anything kind of wrong and we, we just kind of try to keep this veneer of righteousness so that we can still be acceptable. Or we, we try to justify ourselves. We, we try to justify both to ourselves and to others as well that there's, you know, there's always a really good reason extenuating circumstances beyond my control for, for, for what I did wrong or, or the ways in which I failed. There's a good reason for my mistakes and for my foolishness, and that you know, relieves me of any responsibility. And that's because we're, we're always trying to establish our own righteousness and our own rightness. And yet if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, this, this actually permeates everything. This is, this is all of life. This is, this is the air that we breathe. Like, you know, when you even just make a, a simple, honest mistake, accidentally, you know, do something that's a little bit foolish and, and then you get that impulse. You, you just can't help yourself, but you just want to, you know, let everyone know why there's a very good reason why uh, you did that thing, something beyond your control. That's us trying to establish our rightness. Or, or when you get embarrassed. It's a question of righteousness. Am I still acceptable to these people who know this thing about me? And then this is all complicated by the fact that we don't only carry around with us just our, our mistakes and our, and our foolishness and our embarrassments, but we carry around with us our sin and our guilt and our shame. Perhaps you've never thought of righteousness in this way, but this makes sense of the connection in Proverbs between righteousness and life because this is how we live. That we intrinsically know that the deep down to, to flourish in life, to have fullness of life, we need some kind of righteousness. We need some kind of rightness, knowing that we're, we're known and loved and accepted. And because when you don't have that, it drains life from you. It feels like death, right? And the more desperate that we come to, to try and fix that and prove our own rightness to ourselves, it just sucks more and more of the life from our souls. And so we have every reason to be anxious. We have, we have every reason to be depressed or to be angry. We have every reason to be really motivated to, to try and succeed and prove ourselves and, and justify our existence, to, to try and attain, attain those things. Or we get really unmotivated because we just all seem so futile. See, the fact is that we were made for righteousness. That we were made to be righteous. And that's why we're so concerned about it. That we were made to have right standing before God and before others. That we were made to be to be fully known and fully loved and accepted. And that's what we so desperately need. And yet we know deep down... That we, that we don't have that kind of rightness. That there's every reason in the world why, why we're not okay, that we shouldn't be accepted. And so we have a problem, don't we? Because wisdom tells us to have life, that to have life, we need to have righteousness, that we need this right standing before God to be known and to be loved by Him. And, and without it, we're on the pathway to death. And yet we don't have that. And there's nothing that we can do to get it no matter how hard we try. 
New Testament, Romans chapter 3, tells us that all of this is because we're under this curse of sin and death. Uh, Verse 10 says, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And so, how does wisdom, how how does biblical wisdom deal with our problem of unrighteousness? How does does wisdom bring rightness? If If it's so critical to life and yet so far beyond our reach, What's the solution that wisdom provides? So we're going to finish considering the paradox of wisdom. The paradox of wisdom. Because wisdom doesn't tell us to just uh, keep on doing all the things that we tend to do to, to deal with our problem. It doesn't tell us to, to hide. It doesn't tell us to just fake it till you make it. It doesn't tell us to try and uh, justify ourselves or, or just to do better and keep trying harder. Doesn't tell us to, well, if you just believe in yourself. Doesn't guilt us or, or coerce us into just trying to keep all the rules in the hope that maybe one day we'll be okay and be able to kind of just establish our own righteousness. But, but, but like everything in, in Proverbs, wisdom tells us that, that what we really need is, is not good advice or, or life hacks, but what we really need, that the righteousness that we need is only found in Jesus. The Bible tells us that, that it's Jesus himself who is wisdom who has come down from heaven. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, that's him, for the unrighteous, that's you and me, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit. See, the, the, the righteousness that we need for, for, for true life, for, for fullness of life, can only be found in the death of Jesus. And, and so do you see the, this incredible paradox when it comes to, to, to life? Jesus tells us in the, in the Gospels, Matthew 10, says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And what he's saying is that all of our own striving for for life and our striving for righteousness won't lead to life and righteousness. That that will only lead to death. But what we actually need is to be united to him in his death so that we unite to him in his life. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says this, And because of him, because of Jesus, you who are in Christ who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So when you, when you have the life of Christ, when you have the righteousness of Christ, it changes everything. Not only in this death, in his, we're not only united to him in his death, but his life as well. That there's, it means there's, there's no longer any reason to, to hide or cover up. That, that it sets you free from guilt and shame. That when you have the righteousness of Christ, that you are then fully known, 
and fully loved by God. And that changes everything. It's not only for, for, for this life, but it's for eternity. Because Jesus didn't just die, but was, he was raised from the dead. And he promises a day when death will be no more. To, to actually deal with death itself. And can you imagine that? I can't imagine a day when there's no death. That the death would be no more. And this is available to all of us. And if you don't know this, this life and righteousness and freedom, then, then this invitation is available to you. That, that you too can be united to Jesus, both in his death and in his resurrection, so that you would know the fullness of life that is only available in him. Scripture tells us that if you would repent of your unrighteousness, and that if you would believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, that then you would be saved and you would have this life the Bible talks about. It's what we're celebrating today in baptism, right? The, the baptism about being united to Jesus in his death and being raised to new life. It's, it's, it's not that Jamie is somehow good enough. She's not. I know. It's not that somehow she's, she's figured it out. It's that she's trusting her life to Jesus and to the world that is under this curse of sin and death. But despite all our progress, it's not getting any better. This looks like foolishness, right? But, but true wisdom that, that brings real life, the life that we so desperately long for and know that we need is only found in Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for Jesus. That, that he is the wisdom of God that has come down from heaven, that, that in him is the solution, the answer to the curse of sin and death that He is the answer to our problem of unrighteousness and in Him is freedom and forgiveness and fullness of life. Because of His life and His death and His resurrection that we can be fully known and fully loved by You. Incredible promise that we're given that one day that You, Jesus, will bring about the death of death that death would be no more. Lord, your word tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and that it's the, the fountain of life. Lord, may we grow in knowing what it means to live in this fear of the Lord, that we might orient our entire lives around you because you are the most glorious and the only one who is worthy of our lives and of our devotion, that only in you is true life. Lord, I pray for those who are here who don't know you and the life that you offer. But they know that they need it, that they, that they need your righteousness, they need your forgiveness for their sin, for their foolishness. Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit that you, they would experience your grace and the mercy that you offer 
the life that you have. Lord, we thank you, we love you, we praise you. It's in Christ's mighty name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.